This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. How many of you are glad to be in the house of God today? Come on, somebody. Yes, yes. Come on, this is a great day to be in the house of God. And just want to make sure I greet all of you who are watching online. Those of you at our Elk River campus, our Maple Grove campus, it's exciting to be in the house of God today. And I'm thrilled to be able to preach this word. Come on, somebody. It's going to be a great day in the house of the Lord. And so, you know, you guys, I just want to make sure that we take a moment to honor our pastors. Pastor Nate and Jody are great leaders and we have phenomenal pastors. Would you help me just give it up for our pastors? Come on. Oh, you can do better than that, Emmanuel. You can do better than that. Come on. They still here after COVID, somebody. Amen. This has been a crazy season, but uh, I'm super thrilled that God has given us the grace to get through it. Many of you may not be familiar with me, so let me just kind of reacclimate ourselves. Uh, my name is Will Jones, and I along with my wife, joined the Emmanuel team about a year ago this weekend. Uh, we came from Oklahoma City to join the staff at Emmanuel as staff evangelists. And so you may have seen me, you may not have seen me because I'm in and out, but I'm a part of the family. This is my church. This is the house. And so I just want to say welcome. It's so great to preach at home and uh, super excited for this word this morning. So how many of you have your Bibles with you? Come on, if you have your Bible, do me a favor. Wave it in the air like you just do care. Wave that thing. Come on, I got some of my Bible thumpers out there. I love it. How many of you have a Bible that has the ability to glow? Come on, raise that up. Yes, yes, yes. We're going to get chargers in the church one day for you if you didn't charge your, your glowing Bible. Well, we're going to go through John chapter Four in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 4 in Ephesians chapter 2. You can thumb that. But today, we're going to be talking about a really, really interesting topic. And the title of the message is, We Must Go There. We must go there. So we're still kind of just doing a little standalone in the series, Moving Mountains. And I'm going to talk about racial and injustice today. Okay, we're good. Awesome. Sweet. We're perfectly fine. We're awesome. And so it has a propensity to be a tense topic, but it doesn't have to be. And then we're going to have a good time looking at the Bible because what I really want us to know today, Emmanuel, is that God has achieved racial reconciliation. Now we must receive it. God has achieved racial reconciliation already through the work of Jesus Christ, the cross, but now we must receive it. And so we're going to walk through Scripture today and kind of look at this. And so as I was preparing for this message, you know, I was thinking there are some places and things in life that we're like, man, i got to go there or we must do that. Some of us call it a bucket list. But then there are also some places and things in life that it's like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to go there. I'm not going to have that conversation. And so today, we are going to have that don't want to kind of conversation about racism and injustice because it's happening in our world and our country, and we can't be hermits and isolated from it. 
And in each of us, in reality, there's probably a place that we don't want to go, a thing that we don't want to do, or a conversation that we surely don't want to have. But I want to encourage you today. We're going to move forward. We're going to take a step forward because God has already achieved racial reconciliation. The hard work has been done. Now we, as a church, is going to walk in it. We've got to receive it. And so growing up in a community in southern Illinois, it was really a terrible community to live back in those days. But I'm thankful because I grew up there and God allowed me to have my worldview shaped from there. And in this community, it was kind of a don't want to go to type of place. It was a place where it was very segregated. It was a lot of blacks and there was a lot of crime, and there was a lot of drugs, and there was a lot of low income and housing that was dilapidated and boarded up, and anything you named, this community had it. And I would hear people say things like, oh, you live over there. We don't go over there. And I began to wonder, what was it that they were saying? Why were they thinking in such a way that they called the place where I lived there? Because in reality, what they were actually saying as well was they were also saying them, those people. So what they were really saying is we don't go there because if you look at the place that's there, it's not just a place. That place is inhabited by people, which is them. And so they were not only saying we don't go there, they were also saying we don't deal with them or those kind. And so as I began to process that, I was wondering in my mind, what was it that was causing them to think and live this way? Was it the associations that they had heard? What do I mean by associations? Anytime we think of peanut butter, we also think of, come on, come on, you can do better. Anytime we think of peanut butter, we think of, Come on, I love some PBJ. Some of you, that's your lunchtime for kids today, PBJ. Anytime we think of ketchup, we also think of mustard. These are associations that we have in our society. And guess what? Many of the people that would say there or them, and we don't go there, we don't deal with those people, these were actually associations that they had in their mind that media had created, that propaganda had created, and it led to these prejudices, which is prejudgment. That's what prejudice means, prejudgment. They had prejudgments of people they had never even met or experienced. And that also even led to this fear that would allow them to say, we're not going there. And so it was because all these associations of, oh, if it's black people there, then they are animals or criminals or drug dealers or they'll rob us. And we have these associations with many different ethnicities. And so today, I want us to understand that in reality, we all have our theirs and even our thems, because we often avoid places and people and things which are outside of our comfort, outside of our culture, and areas and people that give us caution. We often find ourselves avoiding those things. It's, it's, it's easy. We like to be around people that look like us, people that think like us, people that vote like us, people that act like us, people that are on the same community or social economic classes, classes us. We like to be around people that look like us, but when we avoid people that don't look like us, places that don't, or where we don't live, and things that are outside of our comfort and culture, that's a problem. 
And if we're not aware of it, this becomes our normal world view. It can become our worldview. And if you have such a limited worldview, anything that challenges that to expand is going to cause tension. It's going to cause problems. And so today, what I want to do is I want us to talk about this place and this person called Samaria and a Samaritan woman. And I want us to look at how Jesus broke down the walls of racial injustices because of the attitude that he had that was counter to his Jewish counterparts. Samaria was this place, let me give you a little background. Samaria was this place with hundreds of years of history, tradition, culture of racism, degradation, animosity that the Samaritans had against the Jews and that also the Jews had against the Samaritans. In about 1722 BC, the Assyrians had captured the people, the Israelite people, and they brought them into captivity. And during that time, there was an intermingling with different ethnicities, including the Jews, and they began to intermarry, they began to serve idol gods and have idol worship. They begin to desecrate the temples of the Jews. They begin to do all these things, history, that historically that caused this animosity, that caused this racism, that caused this classism, that caused this elitism. And so the Jews view the Samaritans as half-breeds or dogs, or Gentiles, pagans. And it's interesting because when we think about this story in the Bible, the Samaritans had begun to form their own cities, their own places of worship, their own towns. And this is one place that Jesus is going to address in the Bible called Mount Gerizim. It was a holy place for the Samaritans. And as I look at this story, I see clearly that racism is in the Bible, injustice is in the Bible. There's so many scriptures that God talks about balancing the scales and being just and being righteous. And I see that racism is clearly in the Bible. So then that means it's probably still happening today. And what I mean by racism is I want to give you context. Sometimes we look at that word and we think that it means the bigotry or burning things in people's yards, all that. That was how America used to be, but racism is kind of put on a different face now. Let me just give you a simple definition. It's a belief that a particular ethnicity is superior or inferior to another, bottom line. And so when we think about this and what was happening in those days, the Jews were considered the superiors and the, the, the Gentiles, the, the Samaritans were considered inferior. And so as we take a look in John 4 today, I want you to see how Jesus handled racial injustice and how he overcame it by his work on the cross, bringing reconciliation to all men. So if you have your Bible, let's get ready to dive in here. John chapter 4, I love this. It says, but he needed, some translations say he must need it to go through Samaria. Why in the world did Jesus need to go through Samaria? Let me tell you very simply. There was a woman there who was lost and needed Jesus. But not only a woman, there was a woman that would have influence to reach a whole entire group of people, a village. And not only that, it would also be transcended into the gospel because when Jesus left in, in, in Acts, Acts 1 and 8, he talked about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it was a part of the missiological plan that Jesus had to spread the gospel. And so he needed to go there, but Jesus broke all the rules when he did it. 
Let me tell you how he broke some of those rules. He broke one of the rules because it was the Samaritan people. They were dogs. They were half-breeds to the Jews. They were ceremonially unclean, and he decided to go there. There was even a road historically built around Samaria so the Jews would not have to travel there at all. They could actually spend more time going around Samaria to get to where they needed to go. But Jesus went straight through the path. He went there because he must needed to go there. And so not only was she a Samaritan, she was a woman who not only was a woman, but she was a prostitute. And so Jesus broke all the rules and he dispelled the attitude of having racism and, 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 and discrimination in his heart. He dispelled all of that by going to Samaria to speak with this woman who was pretty much ostracized from her community. Verse 5 and 6 tells us this. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that is called Jacob, and gave it to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's noon. So it was scorching hot around noon, and Jesus is thirsty, and he sees this Samaritan woman coming out to the well for a drink, and she was coming out at that time, which was not a normal time, simply because she was ostracized from other people in her community because of her lifestyle. And so Jesus here is getting ready to do something so phenomenal. You hear it talks about Jacob's well. Well, let me give you the significance of that. Jacob's well was so important because the Jews honored Jacob as a patriarch of the faith, Jacob, Isaac, and Joseph. But the Samaritans also honored Jacob as a father of the faith because the Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They only believed in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And Jacob was in Genesis, and we see that Jacob was in Genesis. And so Genesis was the origin of all things, which invites the Jews and also the Samaritans believed in that. And so what Jesus did here is he met her on a place that was common ground. They both agreed that Jacob was a patriarch. And this was his well. And so Jesus met her on a place of common ground. My friends, I want you to know today that common ground is a good opportunity to start healthy conversations. Common ground is a good opportunity for all of us to have healthy conversations because we have more in common as the human race than we have that's different. You see, there are a lot of things that the enemy is using to divide us, but we have more things in common that actually unites us. And we see Jesus meets her here on a well, which is a place of common ground for both of them. As the Bible goes on to say in verse 7 through 9, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. How many of you know when preachers go into the city to buy food, they probably went and bought some chicken, fried chicken to be exact. And so the disciples go away to buy food, and it says, then the woman of Samaria said to him, listen to this. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That's what she said to Jesus. How is it that you, being a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan, and a woman for a drink? Because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So you can see here that there was racial tension. There was hostility. 
And I love this because Jesus actually asked for a drink from the Samaritan cup. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to tell you today, if you didn't know this, this was a no-no, ceremonially unclean. Jesus was putting himself in a position to be. He was drinking from a Samaritan woman's cup. And this is so, 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 so important, my friends, because Jesus says something that's so much deeper than what we see here. In actuality, he knew that there was injustice, but what he was letting her know is, hey, I'm the one that brings justice. He knew that she was considered unclean, but he was letting her know, hey, I'm the one that can make you clean. And I love this because Jesus is breaking all the cultural and historical and traditional rules. He's breaking them. And the Bible goes on to say, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, I love Jesus' voice. It's so smooth. I'm going to just try to impersonate it, even though I've never heard it. It's just small. It's if you knew that the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me, and he would have given you living water. That's so smooth. Oh, Jesus is smooth. He says, if you knew who the gift of God was, if you knew what it was, if you knew who was asking you, you would have asked me and I would have given you a drink. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? This actually was a trap. Jesus could have chose to be offensive. He could have chose to be defensive here. But he didn't worry about that because he had something greater in mind for the woman. And Jesus answered, and this is what he said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or have to come here anymore. I would have wanted that water too. That sounded like some good water. And she said, man, I don't want to have to come to this well anymore. But she didn't understand that Jesus was talking about something spiritually. He was talking about her salvation experience here. He goes on to say this. It says in verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, how in the world did Jesus go from talking about living water to her having a husband? He did it so masterfully. The woman responds to him and says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband. And then he responds, for you have five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. Now, I'm going to just give you guys this claimer. Well, I grew up, that would have been some taking off of the earrings, some putting up of the hair, some removing of the shoes, because it would have been go time for this woman and Jesus. It's go time. Uh-uh, no, wait, you, you, you all in my business, Jesus. You in my 411. You in my stuff. I love this. Jesus here, my friends, is helping her to understand that I'm here to bring you living water. And this is what this message is all about, reconciliation. He's here to help her understand, I'm here to bring you salvation. I'm here to be the answer to your problem. I'm the solution to your problem. And he's showing her that, but I can't deal with your problem unless I deal with your lifestyle. So he's actually wanting to deal with her sin. And my friends, we can't have salvation or reconciliation without dealing with sin. 
We cannot have salvation or reconciliation without dealing with sin. And I love this because we all have one prerequisite to have Jesus. Do you know what that prerequisite is? That we need to be a sinner in need of a Savior. And it doesn't matter about what your color, your class, or your culture. All you need to be is a sinner in need of a Savior, and that is the one prerequisite that Jesus has for all people. And she fed that prerequisite. I love it because Jesus is he's getting ready to drop some knowledge on her when it comes to the truth of worshiping God. Listen to what he says in verse 19 through 24. He says this. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Well, I guess so. You all in my business. And this was a statement that she made because the history of the Samaritans believed that there would be a prophetic messianic figure that would come. You're going to hear that in verse 24 later. And so she, like, man, how does this guy know all about me? You must be a prophet, which in actuality we know Jesus was a prophet as well as the Son of God. And then she said this, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I mean, this is a moment where Jesus drops the mic on her. It's a bomb moment. This is something that she has to grasp. And I love it because Jesus is talking about worship here. He's talking about the truth of it. And he says in verse 20, the, the lady says, you people, you Jews. Come on, have you ever heard a racial term like that? She said, you people, you Jews. And she was separating the one thing that Jesus was trying to bring back together again. And she said, you people, you Jews, our fathers taught us that this is how we ought to worship. But you people say one other thing. And she was confused. She was searching. And I love that because when she says our fathers I want us to understand something here what she was communicating was everything that I've learned I've been taught or I caught it I've been taught it by my father and his father taught him and his father taught him and so in our terms my daddy learned from my granddaddy because my granddaddy learned from my great-granddaddy and my great-granddaddy taught my granddaddy that taught my daddy who taught me that's what she was saying and so Jesus was like, okay, you've been taught all these things. And it's interesting because when we think about what she was saying, the Samaritans were separated from the Jews. In their worship, they were separated. They weren't worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus had to bring back the reality of God's truth. And he wanted to let her know, listen, that all the things that you've been taught, I'm coming to challenge them today. Did you know that in America, the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning in the church. Isn't that a problem? The most segregated hour of the week is on Sunday mornings between the hours of 9 and 1 p.m. And Jesus was letting her know, 
You guys have been separated. You guys have been worshiping the God that you think you know. The Jews have been worshiping the God that we think we know. And we've already formed all these biases and all these opinions and all these prejudices. But God wants us to know that there's spirit because he's spirit and that there's truth. And he wants them to know, listen, all the stuff that you've been taught, I'm sorry, but it's wrong. All that you've been passed down in tradition and culture, I'm sorry, but it's wrong. And Jesus is letting her know, I'm coming to establish the truth. God is spirit and he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. What does spirit mean? It means with the right heart and right motivation. What does truth mean? It means God's objective standard. And so, my friends, today we're struggling in our country because we are operating on illegitimate standards. We're operating on illegitimate standards. What do I mean by that? Things that we have learned, things that we have been taught, things that we have been caught in our culture, in our history, in our tradition. Listen, we have not been rooted in God. We've been rooted in culture, history, and background. And I need to let us know today that all these things that you learned, like the Samaritan woman, may have been facts, but they may not be true. Just because something is a fact doesn't mean it's true. And so this woman had a a mere image of what she thought was true, but Jesus had to dispel all of the things that she thought was true to help give her truth. And listen, just because you were raised once one way or a certain way, listen, doesn't mean it's true. Because if it doesn't align with God and his perspective and his word and his objective truth, then it's wrong. It's wrong. And the problem that we're facing today is that as a people, we find ourselves reaching back into our history and into our culture to legitimatize the decisions that we make today. But when our decisions today go against God's word, guess what? They're wrong. And Jesus had to let her know that you worship what you do not know of. Salvation comes from the Jews. Listen to the response of the lady. She says this, I know that the Messiah is coming. I mean, think about that. Jesus was right in front of her. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and he, when he comes, he will tell us all things. He will tell us all things. And Jesus had to give her another drop-the-mic moment here. He says to her, listen, I who speak to you am he. I'm he. I want you to get a glimpse of what Jesus did through Paul's writing. Let's go over to Ephesians 2 here really quickly. Ephesians 2. I love this. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, everybody say you. Come on, you can do better. Everybody say you. Everybody say me. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, remember that you, he was talking about you and me, once were Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, you and I, we were without Christ. Christ. The Bible would call us Gentiles if we want original descendants of the Jewish people. It says, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, strangers, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, from the covenants of the promise without having no hope. It says, having no hope and without God in the world. Let me help you understand, my friends, this is the power of reconciliation of what Jesus 
Jesus was bringing to the woman at Samaria. He was bringing and dispelling all the racial tension, the injustices about two divided group, the Jews, the Gentiles, and he was letting her know that I am he. I am the one that's bringing this back together. And Paul gives us such a beautiful fixation of it. It tells us that we were aliens, separated from God, strangers of God, without any hope, without God. I don't know about you, but I just got to get up out of my seat for one moment to let you know that if it had not been for Jesus, I wouldn't be standing here. If it had not been for Jesus, you wouldn't be sitting there. If it had not been for Jesus, we wouldn't have the privileges that we have because we were all lost, without hope, strangers, alienated from God. But the beauty of it is not done. It's not done. Listen to this. He goes on and he says, but now, everybody say, but now. But now, I love the but moments because it's like there was darkness, now it's light. It's like there was sadness, now it's happiness. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, that's in Christ Jesus, not in myself, not in my, the way I vote, not in where I live, not in how much money I have. He said, it's in Christ Jesus. You were once afar off but have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That is some good news, Emmanuel family. And for all you who are watching online, I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've done. If you're in Jesus, you've been brought near to him. Your sins have been forgiven. You have been made whole because of what Jesus' blood has done. If anybody ought to shout, it ought to be now, church. It ought to be now. But he's not done. He's not done. He's not done. He says, having abolished. No, verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace. How many of you know there's a lot of needs for peace in the world today? A lot of people need peace. But it says Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made both one, come on somebody, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. That was a wall between these Jews and these Gentiles who really represented the human race as a whole. And God was doing something so magnificent to break down such a great hostility and a wall of separation between one race and one ethnicity. And he was breaking this wall down through Jesus Christ. And it says that he broke the wall of separation down, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, come on somebody, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile, reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Let me tell you what Jesus did. The, the, the Bible tells us that sin entered the world through one man named Adam and every single human being had sin in them that allows us to be divided from God, alienated from God, separated from God. But what Jesus did is he brought back what God did in the beginning. When God created man, he created us from the dust of the ground. Guess what? That means life is going to be messy sometime. You made a dirt, you're going back to the dirt. But I want to let you know that Jesus Christ brought everything together, that the enemy has separated. Jesus Christ brought everything together that the enemy has tried to overcome. That's the power of the gospel, church. He's brought it back to whole. Now we are one new man in Christ Jesus. He created a spiritual family. We're one body in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. Such a significant picture of racial reconciliation.
we all have no right to have privileges. We have no right to have prejudices. Because what Jesus did through the cross, we all were in the same place. And guess what? We all come from one race. If you don't believe it, how in the world can we reproduce from one another? The Bible lets us know Christ has done something marvelous. Regardless of how you look, regardless of your culture, regardless of your history, regardless of how much money you make, where you live, none of that matters. What matters is you have been created in the image and likeness of God, and regardless of what you are, what you've done, listen, Jesus embraces you. And so should we, as the body of Christ, embrace one another. And I love this because I want to give you a couple application points here. Two application points for this message that I really want to help you understand. How can we begin to walk in racial reconciliation? This is not exhaustive, but it's a starting point. This is what I would say. Number one, we have to meet on common ground. We saw that Jesus did that with the woman at the well. My friends, there are more things in our lives that unite us than the differences that we allow to divide us. I want to say that again. There are more things in our lives that actually unite us than the differences that we allow to divide us. Jesus met her on a place of common ground. How can you do that this week with someone? How can you meet them at a place that's common for you? How can you begin to understand what's common between your relationship and between how you're made and where you come from that would allow you to meet on common ground? The second thing that I want you to know today is that we've got to spend time with others who don't look like you. Remember what I said earlier, we are comfortable with spending time with people going places that look like us. We're not comfortable with spending time with people and going places that don't look like us. And so Jesus did this. Jesus spent time with others who didn't look like them. There was so much tension and hostility, and we saw that Jesus must have went there. He needed to go there. And what am I saying to you today? This week, you're going to need to go there. You're going to need to have a conversation. You're going to need to become a learner. You're going to need to posture yourself to understand and seek to be understanding instead of, un instead of wanting to be understood. We're going to have to spend time with people that don't look like us. We're going to meet people on common ground. You know, I remember growing up in our high school, and it was a really large school, and... It was really cool because there was community first started off all white and then there was blacks that moved in and then there were some Asians who moved in and Hispanics who moved in and our school began to look like a diverse school. And being an athlete, we were all united because sports. A lot of us that played sports united us. And there was still some hate, some tension, some hostility name-calling, racial slurs, all that stuff. And, and this was really happening in the foundation of our school. One night, April 3rd, 2003, 
I was with one of my teammates, a bunch of my friends that were white, Hispanic. We were playing basketball in my middle school gym. It was a bunch of us, 25 of us or so, playing on different ends of the court. And my friend named Chris, he would play his last game that night. 17 years old, he drops dead. After the second game, I pick him up, I hold him. He dies in my hands at the age of 16, and he was 17. And I watched around me, white, black, Hispanic, crying, asking him to push through, wanting to help him to live another day. But unfortunately, he took his last breath there on the court playing the game that he loved. And the next day, I remember in school, it was such a somber day. It was the first day that I had seen people in our school from different ethnicities different classes, different sides of the track, hugging, holding, crying together. And as I think about this story, I recognize something, that someone had to die that brought the reconciliation of how our school should really look. And it's so parallel to Jesus you see, that's what Jesus did. He, God recognized the world was in shambles and in, 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 headed to destruction and on the path that would be separated for him. And he had to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins that separated him. And he took our place. He died a death we should have died. He paid a price that we never could have paid. And therefore, it brought about a reconciliation of the human race again. And I want to tell you today, my friends, that what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, it's not just available for then, but it's available now for every single human being, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people, and we have to live it out, church. Got to live it out. And so for those of you that may be watching online, some of you that may be here, maybe you're at Elk River, Maple Grove. He would say, Will, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to take the first step. I can't have reconciliation with man without first having it with God. It's the cross. And so if you're here, or if you're there at Maple Grove or Elk River or watching online, and you would say, Will, I need to give my life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer right now to do that. It's between you and God. All you need to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And so I'm going to help you get a kickstart. I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray with me. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of confessing your sins that separate you, that alienate you from God, and allowing Jesus Christ to come live in your heart and to make you a new person and be the person that he's purposed you to be. So if that's you and you want to pray that prayer, maybe you were away from Jesus and you need to come back, you can pray the same prayer, but let's do it together, my friends. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're at Elk River or Maple Grove again watching online. I want you to know that God wants you. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, today I come to you and I give you my life. I turn away from a life of sin and I embrace the grace you give me. Thank you for saving me. And I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Come on, Emmanuel family, let's give it up. Listen, my friends, if you made that decision to either come back to Jesus because you're away from him or to come to Jesus for the first time, we're so excited for you. At Emmanuel, we believe that everyone needs to know Jesus, grow together, and live on purpose. And I, along with our pastoral staff, want to send you some resources that'll help you. And so if you made that decision, I want you to take out your phone right now, wherever you are. If you're driving, stop, please. But if you're in your kitchen, if you're in your living room, if you're at one of the campuses, take out your phone and text Emmanuel to 3131. Emmanuel to 313131. That's what I want you to text right now. Text Emmanuel to 313131. You're going to get a response back. And what that is, is we're going to give you some tools to help you begin to take the next step, to be water baptized and to identify publicly with Jesus, to begin to get some materials and get in some of our community of small groups of people that want to live like you do. We're here to help you grow and live on purpose. So I congratulate you today if you've made that decision. Come on, Manuel, one more time. Let's give it up for all of those. I want to invite Pastor Ben, Pastor Adrian. I thought it was fitting today for this message that we could close out with some of our pastoral team who don't look like each other. Pastor Ben is as white as you could be, and I love it. He is my brother from another mother, but the same father. Come on, somebody. And then I've got my friend, Hermano Kerpasa Adrian, Pastor Adrian, who's here from another different country different ethnicity, Argentinian, right? And I have us here because we don't represent the whole. We don't. But what we do represent is how we're going to look. We're going to be a church that represents all nations. You hear pastors say that. There's so many of you in here that are representative of different nations, and we're going to be a church that reaches people of different nations, of different ethnicities, of different socioeconomic classes. We are going to be a church that is filled with the power of the Spirit and understand the gospel to call people into the kingdom that don't look like us. That's reconciliation. And so today I want my brothers to join with me, and we're going to pray a prayer of unity. So Pastor Ben, could you lead us out? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the word that's been preached today. God, I thank you for the work of reconciliation that you've done for us on our behalf that you adopted each of us into your family. Even though we didn't deserve it, we could do nothing to earn it, but you saw fit to bring us near to you. God, I pray just likewise towards each other that our hearts would bend towards each other. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the yeah. beauty of your creation. Yeah. God, I pray that you would give us a heart to dignify the sacred worth that you put inside of each individual soul. God, I pray that as a church, we would model uh, something new for the world around yes, us, Lord. that they could see people united, people reconciled to each other, yes, people living uh, unified with a common yeah. goal, common purpose, Lord. I pray that you would be lifted up in glory glorified to our love and relationships with each other. Amen, Pastor Adrian. Jesus, you call us to be Emmanuel, God with us. You call, Lord Jesus, to be 
those Lord Father that we can open doors where we can walk forward you call Emmanuel a house of prayer for all the nations no matter what skin color what language what nationality what country we come the most important is we want to be one as you are one with the Father we pray for your anointing we pray for your blessing we pray for unity Lord Jesus we pray that our heart will be break in your presence God and we come one Lord Jesus as you are with the Father we pray for the north and south and east and west that your blessing your anointing and, and revival Lord Jesus be upon us te pedimos Señor tú llamaste a tu iglesia a ser Señor la, yes. la iglesia Señor de oración para todas las naciones Amen. Señor tú llamaste a tu pueblo tú llamaste a cada uno de nosotros no importa qué nacionalidad qué color de piel yes. Señor o qué idioma hablamos lo importante es que somos uno Señor como tú eres con el Padre te pedimos tu unción pedimos un avivamiento en este lugar y pedimos Señor que llenes este corazón como cuerpo de Cristo somos Señor que podamos ver al norte al sur al este y al oeste tu bendición tu favor y tu gracias en the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and Father we just come before you Lord that our church your church Emmanuel as a local representation of this community Lord would be men and women filled with your power and your spirit and filled with the truth of the gospel of reconciliation may we all be ambassadors to learn to meet people on common ground and to spend time and get to know and do life with people who don't look like us father help us to be ambassadors of reconciliation which you have already achieved now lord help us to live it out and walk in it in jesus name amen Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the many ministry opportunities we have throughout the week, be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org.